impact do you want to have on the world when you look back at your life? The first client I ever had, his name was Alex. Um, and when he came to Toastmasters, which is where I would practice, um, he got put on the spot. He stood in front of a room of 30 people and he made more eye contact with the floor than with the rest of the room. And when I got to know him a little bit more, I realized like Alex had the lowest self-confidence and self-esteem out of anybody that I knew. Part of it was because he was uh, from a foreign country. He moved from Russia as well, but only recently. And when he asked me to start, well, actually, to be completely honest, I asked him if I could coach him. He was my very first client. And I felt this, this affinity towards him, like, like this knowingness that he has it. Like he already has it, I see it in him. He just has to feel it, be it, experience it. Like he has to tap into it, but he has it. And I, I don't know why, but I was so drawn and driven to, to help him with that. And so we started working together and um, that was my passion project. Um, at the time, I didn't know that I'd want to be a public speaking coach. I was just a mentor, really. Um, we worked together for about two years and then one day Alex died in a car accident. So sorry. And it's just one of those things you never expect, right? It's just totally just out of nowhere. But what I remember about him the most was that about two years in he started to really shine. He would, he would give presentations where like his humor just came out. I mean, he, it, when it was interesting, we'd go on walks and he'd be kind of morose sometimes or kind of just like, you know, himself, sort of introverted, shy. But when I'd see him on stage, he would just be big. He would be everything that I think he knew himself to be and more. And I, I remember the day that he died, I went into, into my room and um, I always carry around like a little check in my, in my wallet that, that is sort of my life statement, my life purpose. And, uh, and I just made a new one uh, in his honor. And it's a really simple mission. It's just to help as many people like Alex uh, out there in the world as I can and as I was reflecting on it, I, I realized that Alex is really me. Um, he's who I was growing up. And in a way, he's, he's all of us uh, in some way or another. He's the great representation of someone who totally has it in him, but doesn't know it yet and feels too shy, too self-conscious, too low of self-esteem to really make the impact he wants to make. So he's the type of person that's just inspired me ever since I met him. And I want to continue to help people recognize just how confidence is something they already have. Speaking is something they already know how to do. And it's stepping into those skills with a little bit of training, a little bit of practice, but it's really to, to help people discover that 
they're so much closer than they think. How do you win the audience? How do you win the audience? Yeah. That's like the one thing you can do or like, do you have any? Yeah, any be, be funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, humor goes a long way. Um, and most of us are funny. Most of us have a sense of humor, but we're not willing to, to put it out there. And uh, if the audience laughs, like there's no better feeling yeah. to give them. Um, on the opposite side of that, humor pairs really well with, with depth, yeah. right? So some of my best speeches are the ones that get you laughing, kind of like a stand-up set in a way, yeah. telling a great story, something that really is from the heart. And all of a sudden, you're laughing, you're having a good time, and you're listening, and you hear the energy change. And it kind of gets deeper and more serious, maybe more vulnerable. And you're like, wow. And those types of combinations are so impactful because, you know, if you feel like you can laugh around someone and you can cry around someone or you can, you can be impacted by someone, that's everything. But at the same time, what I just said means, means nothing because how do you do that, right? How do you add humor or, or add impact? I think one, one thing we've noticed from all of the work we've done People, it's, it's this really, really funny thing. When you ask people, who was your favorite speaker on stage? If they're at some conference. They'll always point to the one that was the most authentic, yeah. the most herself, right? The most easygoing, conversational, natural, just someone who you feel like is so real. But when they go on stage, or when they start practicing to go on stage or they start writing to go on stage, they emulate someone completely different. They emulate the polished speaker, the speaker that sounds eloquent or articulate or perfect. And it's this weird misconception because you love the person that's authentic and real and raw, yeah. but you want to come across as someone who knows it all and who's polished and perfect. Yeah. So, I mean, although it is hard to just incorporate this into your day-to-day that the reality is I mean look at Brene Brown everyone loves Brene Brown why she's so real she's so vulnerable she's so herself Ben Zanders if you've seen him speak anyone who has that just anyone who you can tell that person is so themselves on stage doesn't matter what their script is we first pay attention to a person's energy and whether or not we are attracted or repulsed by the way of being that they are. And if there's one pattern that we've noticed across everything, it's that people are attracted to people who are real. But what if you're shy? Yeah, that's tough. And that's the work. That's the work. People think that, you know, if I just learn how to tell stories better, or if I just learn these speaking techniques, then all of a sudden I'll win over the crowd. Even if you do, it won't be real. Like the whole work that I believe in so strongly is if you're shy and you want to improve your speaking, there has to be a part of you that wants to feel less, less shy, more willing to be bold or more courageous or more vulnerable. That's the real work of, of public speaking. You have to improve your whole life. Yeah, it's a meta skill.
one thing you said was that stress keeps you alive. Can you just evolve on that? Because mm-hmm. a lot of people fear stress, actually. No, man, stress is great. Yeah, when you, I mean, when you first wake up in the morning, you get this surge of cortisol and all the stuff that makes you like get up and go and you want to attack the day and you drink some caffeine and you're like, hoorah, you go get after it. Like every time you take a breath in, that's activating more of that sympathetic side of the nervous system. Sympathetic is like notorious for that kind of like flight flight thing. But fight flight, that's a great thing to have access to that. That's every time, you know, you're playing basketball and there's, you know, 10 seconds left in the game and you got to get a point. Like you want that. You know, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. The issue comes when you're chronically stuck on either side of the spectrum. If you're chronically stuck in like flaccid relaxation monk, dude, that's a bummer too. No one wants to hang out with that guy. Like you want to you wanna be able to have that pendulum swing woo, all the way to the left and then woo, all the way to the right. And you don't want to get stuck in any one part. Ideally, you can kind of cruise, go cruise control right smack dab in the middle. And then you have access, full access to left and right up, down, in, out, you know, whichever direction the pendulum wants to go. But you, you live in that, you know, my, my everything is called a line. You know, your pendulum is aligned down the middle. So you have full balance to explore any, any part of the, the swing you want. It's so cool. When you say that, I'm just thinking martial artist. Of course. Because it's yeah, that's like, what it is. Your center of gravity. You want to, be, you want to find your, your balance point, your center of gravity in a wide, wide variety of positions. So when you're training with an opponent, you're like trying to throw them like a hip throw or something like that. If they're not directly on top of your hip and you're not able to drive down into the ground in that center point, you won't get any leverage on them. You know, so anytime you're throwing a punch, throwing a kick, grappling, that's what you're doing. You're processing these millions of bits of information every second to find your center of gravity. And the person that has a greater, mm, like, catalog of awareness through all those different positions to rapidly find their center of gravity will crush you. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, but it, it, it's so interesting, like, because you, you go into, like, you're doing this... Uh, interesting workouts or you you doing like hard things in life that makes you also urge for being quiet right for relaxing yeah so it's like i i love that and we're always trying to protect ourselves we're always insulating ourselves from anything that's that's challenging you know so right now this room is kind of cold for me actually um which is which is from like a hermetic perspective is kind of cool in a sense because it's making my body have to start to auto-regulate and figure out like, okay, cold room. Um, It's kind of a bummer because it's cooled by an air conditioner that's deionizing the air and kind of making the air like a little bit like less electric for you to breathe. So it's kind of like toxic air. It's probably going through some, you know, filtration system, which again, it's just like, we don't want to filter everything. Like you want to, you know, Shinrin Yoku nature bathing. Like you want all that. uh, It's a a Japanese word. Um, You want to go out in nature. Uh, it means nature bathing. Shinri, okay. I'd imagine that's what it means. That's what okay. all the books How say it means. Shinrin yoku. Shinrin yoku. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you, what you want is you want raw. You want to breathe in full, robust, raw nature. Yeah. As you <laughs> sterilize things, it's like you know water. You want minerals in water. You know, you want that water to pass through all the crevices and go through and collect all the sediments and the minerals so that when it arrives to you, you're getting like a full mineral cocktail. Um, Instead, what we do, we would rather just sterilize everything and we have like (laughs) this super filtration system. It's like, it's like nothing, you know, it's just pure water. 
You're like, no, like you, like it's, you want the stuff. You want to take a nice breath in and get the various different in the, in the nature bathing, like the phyton sides is like a, <laughs> something that's emitted from the plants. It's good for your immune system and such. Like you want to breathe all that stuff in. Yeah. You just want to breathe the right stuff in. You don't want to sterilize everything. You do the same thing with, with, uh, you know, bacterial soap and such. It destroys your, your skin biome. You don't want that shit. Do you think social media makes us better or worse as a, as a human species? Uh, I don't think it's a better or worse. Um, it does. It's like anything. It was like, do hammers or knives would be a better analogy? Are knives good or bad for society? Do they make society better or worse? Yeah. I don't know. You murdered lots of people, you know, with them. Like that's a thing that happens sometimes. There's all sorts of brutal, horrible acts that have been done with knives throughout history. Yeah. Um, as have you like been able to? survive you know and cut fish and cut rope and do all this great stuff so i don't think it has it ever has anything to do with the thing itself it's always about the the intention uh behind it yeah i, I totally agree with you but the intention sometimes is difficult right because we're being pulled into this i i know i try to be very intentional with social media and my phone and my computer but a lot of times I catch myself, I, I went on the phone to check something and all of a sudden I'm scrolling Instagram. Mm -hmm. And like, how, how do we like not do that? Or is that just part of us? You don't do that by being more satisfied in your life. You know, so if you are actually investing yourself into meaningful relationships and you're actually investing, and this is stuff that I struggle with, by the way. Yeah. Um, that's been like, loneliness has been like an ongoing kind of like dance that I've done, you know, for as long as I can remember yeah. feeling kind of like a little bit like an outsider or feeling like separate, even though on paper I, you know, seem I've throughout history have seemed to be doing like fine. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I've, I've always felt always as in like, as long as I can remember, like even like a little kid, uh, felt like off, like just not, not a part of any one tribe or, or, you know, anything like that. I've always been enamored or interested, not really enamored, but interested by that. Like people that are seemingly from the outside appear to be really good at integrating into a tribe and like having like, you know, your like best friend group. Yeah. Um, I've always been fascinated by that. It's always been like a foreign thing to me. I've always had, I've like dipped my feet in multiple different groups yeah. all the time. You're fighting for this. You, you're running your businesses. You have uh, uh, Nico and Luna now as well. And you're dealing with grief of your son. It's been three years now. Like, how do you, how do you get the energy to, to go out and, and do this every day? Because we meet people every day who, who basically have don't gone through any of this, but still complaining that I can't do it. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough energy. Like, how do you deal with all this? That's a good question. I don't know. <laughs> I was with one of uh, our coaches who's a several time world champion in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. He asked yesterday, he said, how do you have so much energy? And I, I, I honestly, I don't know. I don't know. My mom said, she goes, when you were little, there wasn't all these uh, acronyms, ADHD and, and, and such. Um, but uh, she said, I'm sure you would have been on the spectrum if you were born today. But at the same time, I actually don't think I am because I can sit down, I can focus, I can read a book. Um, I, I have no problems doing that. Um, I, I honestly, one of the things 
and this is way before Liam, but obviously intensified because of Liam, is I, I just I really enjoy life. Yeah. I really, really do. And I, I you know, I, I just wanna, I wanna be part of things. Like I love, I love the energy of humans. I love to be part of things and, and, and to be able to be part of, of, of making a difference, of, of changing something. Now, to do it in my son's honor, is, it means everything, but even if not, in my opinion, as a martial artist, that's what martial arts is truly about, is bettering yourself. Like if you look at fighting, fighting is the tip of the iceberg when it comes to martial arts. The rest of what's below what martial arts, and I don't have to tell you, you know all about it, but how it improves you as a human being, your relationships, your, your mental fortitude, you know, all of it is, is, is at least part of it because of martial arts. So um, that's, that's a, 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 the duty of a, a true martial artist, in my opinion, to be the best to, towards yourself and towards your community as well. And um, I, I, I don't want to miss out. I want to make sure, you know, I, never, I haven't told anyone this yet, but I, I was sitting and I was doing some, some soul searching, I guess. Not because I feel like I need to change anything, but just kind of curious to what you were just asking. What is it that drives me? What is it that makes me tick and keep going? And I, this famous why question, keep asking yourself why, but why, but why? And I got to the base that my biggest fear is to one day look back at my life and go, you could have done a lot more, you didn't do enough, or to be viewed by other people as someone that was lazy, that didn't do enough. And it's kind of, maybe it's crazy because I know deep within that I'm not lazy, but I have the days where I'm like, I didn't do enough today. I feel like I was lazy today. And, but that's, that's what drives me. And then I realized from, I mentor people, I do, like, I hate using the term life coaching, but I call it personal coaching because I'm, I'm a coach of someone. Yeah. Um, and I'm realizing one of the biggest fears that people often have is the fear of failure, the fear of ridicule, of looking like embarrassment and shame. Well, you got to find that, that deep, 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 deep uh, driving force and or what, what ticks you, right? Mm -hmm. So it can either be your fuel or it can be your crutch yeah. where you're like, I'm, I can't do that because my biggest fear is to be viewed as a failure. Yeah. Well, I don't care if I get viewed as a failure. As long as I get viewed as someone that worked hard, yeah. like, of course you want to succeed, but at least someone can say, well, if he didn't make it, but he fucking tried. Yeah. And, and that's, that's all we can do, right? Because you can never, you can, you can look to someone who has had success and you go, all right, did well, congratulations, but either you, say for example, you were given the money or you got lucky, right? Um, and it's the same thing when you look at a fight. If you see someone that wins by knockout and wins the title in the first round, in the first minute, you can go, oh wow, really amazing, or what's a lucky punch? What if it would have been, or if you see a five round war when you get tested, your grit, your heart, and you go, that's the champion. Yeah. One is of course much better, much easier, but um, in my opinion, to, to, even if you lose that fight, yeah. you're a champion in my eyes because you, you gave it your all. Yeah. And you can't, you can't knock, you can't not respect the person that gave 110%. Sometimes we see all those people that are number one, number two, number three in a sport or in a given field, but we, we forget a lot of times the people that are around for years doing it with their whole heart, but 
they never reach maybe the number one in a competition, uh, but they improve a lot, but also they don't get recognized by other people. Like, what do you want to say to those people? Because we always forget about them. We, we yeah. always remember the, the people that are winners that we see on podcasts, interviews. But what about all those other people that are still good human beings? That's, yeah, that's interesting. You know, I personally, and I think maybe that's why I, I can do I I... I've always been a little bit where I, I, I would do things and then like, I'm from a pri private family. They are not like me. And to them it would look like, why would you do that when people can see you or watch you or judge you? Yeah. And the truth is, I, I don't care. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. So, and I think that's really, really important. Like we, we live our lives and a good point yesterday, actually, we were at the, in the changing rooms and I do these monthly challenges, right? Yeah. So I'm in one corner doing, cart this month we're doing cartwheels. Yeah. I'm doing 100 cartwheels a day, which is so every month I'm cursing myself because 100 cartwheels is actually a lot. Yeah. Um, and then Dima that you know as well, who is, you know, leading and coaches the fight team at Systems and he's doing his own challenge. So he's doing push-ups and squats in one area and this other guy comes in who's a coach and he's like, what are you guys doing? And, and we're like, well, we're doing our thing. It's like, you're that guy because Dima was really hot so he's taking his shirt off and he's working out and he goes, you're, you're being that guy right now. Yeah. You know, the one that everyone is watching. And Dima made a good comment. It's a, it's a saying that's really true. It's saying people's eyes have never gotten me far in life. And that's very, very true. Like you can go, oh, I shouldn't do my squats and my sit-ups right now because there's people watching me. Who cares? Let them watch. Let them think that you're an idiot. Let them think that you're crazy. Let them think that you're doing it to show off. Um, that, that you're, that you, you know, if you, you, you're, you're that person. Yeah. But if you're doing it for yourself, if you're doing it for them, yeah. then you're doing it for the wrong reason. But if you're doing it for yourself and there happens to be people around, who cares? Who gives a fuck? Yeah. Let them judge. Let them sit at home in the sofa eating chips and judge you. Yeah. And it's like same thing with fighting. When, when I've been asked this many, many times, aren't you scared? What if you get knocked out? Like, isn't it embarrassing to get knocked out in front of, of, of like a lot of people and, and they see you? No. Yeah. I went in there. I trained as hard as I could. I did my very best and I happened to get knocked out. It was me and one more person inside of that cage or that ring. And all the thousands or millions of people that are watching, their comments, their opinion, them trying to ridicule you, it doesn't mean anything. Look at Donald Cerrone, for example, Cowboy Cerrone, who's a warrior. He's got more fight bonuses, he's made more money because of it than a lot of other UFC fighters. Never held the title, been so close. So close. Kenny Florian, who's a good friend of mine, who, who fought for three titles, mm -hmm. Sean Shark, BJ Penn, and Jose Aldo. Yeah. Didn't win on any of them. Is he a loser? No, he's mm -hmm. not a loser. It just, there was one other person, one more man yeah. that was better than him. But he's still the second best in the world. Like, we got to forget being in the first always. Like, you're second best out of how many billions of people do we have on the earth right now? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's changing the, the angle of the view of the whole thing where you're right, there's a lot of people that, that will never become the champion, yeah. right? In whatever sport. But does it matter? That person, sh you, shouldn't, you shouldn't be upset with that person. That person is amazing, but you should, you should admire that person, especially if it's in your own sport and you know, I know how hard I worked. Yeah. 
Imagine how hard that person has worked. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's important to to remember that in the end of the day, people's admiration or you know the the the, the way they view you matters a lot less than the way you view yourself. Yeah. You can be your own champion, you know, and, and, and that's truly, in, in the end of the day, you can be the best in the world and not be happy, yeah. then, well, then it doesn't matter anyways, right? It hurts me so bad when you see people hurting. Yes. You know? So, and a lot of times, like, we are hurting ourselves in a way, and I just wanted to kind of see uh, what would you kind of say to somebody that wakes up, they look themselves in the mirror and say like, they just say, I fucking hate you, you know? They don't like themselves. Like, what is the start to change? Like, how do you change that? Because everybody deserves to start loving themselves and feel worthy. But it's so easy to say the journey is a different way. So can we just talk about that and what, 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 what would be the first step, you know? Yeah, well, I, you know, I encounter this, um, you know, I, I'm also a nurse and I work in the emergency room and I have a lot of homeless and a lot of um, people that are dealing with addiction um, that, that have come in and I, I had this man one time, you know, he was a homeless man and, and I talked to him and I asked him about his life and I was making eye contact and he was so surprised and he, he said this, you know, that, that you know, he hated himself, and I, um, I told him that I saw him, and that, you know, and I, and this is something else that I learned from, from Sarah, is this, uh, inner child work, that I saw him as, as a boy, you know, before everything was done to him, or he was told what he couldn't be, or what he was, and, you know, I believe that we are, all that that five-year-old child underneath so if you can get to that um you know and people just need to be loved what am I going to say to somebody I, I would say that you know I love them and that they're worthy of love and and these are words you know but beyond the words like I said I I, I make eye contact a lot with um with people that come into the emergency room. Sometimes these, sometimes the patients are like looking at me like, you know, they, they don't encounter this a lot. And I think it's, you know, I am coming from a place of fierce compassion because I've been there mm -hmm. and maybe I don't look like them, but it doesn't always look the same, you know? And I do, um, I, I think compassion felt deeply can move people and change their hearts you know yeah I, I I agree with you and and one thing that I I want to encourage everybody that are listening to this is to like see people and like talk to people don't don't be so rushed all the time I'm I'm myself do that mistake a lot of time I'm gonna do this that yeah. check everything off and then hey like this is a person I'm I'm sitting here with. That's why I love having these conversations because I yeah. get to shut down my phone, get to shut down <laughs> everything, actually be here. But see people and ask how they are. Look them in the eye. Even if it's someone that you don't know, 
It could be an older person. It could be a homeless person. It could be someone that needs you in this moment. Mm -hmm. It can be anybody. Like, I've been there myself. I feel so lonely and sad and someone tells me a joke or gives me a compliment. Mm -hmm. And it means the world. Even though I, I see myself as a confident guy and I know a lot of people don't approach me in a way because they are, I don't know what it is, but uh, I don't know if I look aggressive or something, I, I don't know. But I'm, I always want to talk to people and sometimes you need to talk to the people that like are shy too, yes. right? Yes. How does that journey like kind of begin? You, you came to LA, was that, was that kind of the beginning of your change or did you already change before? That, no, I did not change. I wanted to change. I, you know, I always was a seeker. I was a, a true seeker for um, many, many years. I remember in like maybe 1998, I read the Celestine Prophecy and that really touched my heart a lot. And But I would still just, you know, there's, the devil was on this shoulder, the angel was on this shoulder and I was just usually hanging out with the devil, you know? And um, I, like I said, that guidance that brought me here, uh, it took me a little while until I, I had discovered yoga uh, maybe eight years ago. And I always, I saw these people, they looked like they were, you know, so peaceful and um, community and I wanted that and I would I would go once a week and then not go for two weeks it could just never really I think I, I was dealing with a lot of shame so I would go and then I would feel like I didn't belong you know it, this was a, a cycle for me all the time I didn't belong I don't belong why um, were you ashamed uh, well here's the the thing with shame I had I believe that I had shame in my body from that wasn't even mine. I believe in um, that we take on things from our ancestors. So I think this has a lot to do with it. With it, and also um, I do believe that certain religions, you know, create this for you in your mind. If you're uh, born a sinner, then that's kind of um, could be taken as shame. Yeah. You know, like, I'm bad. I'm doing things wrong. I think, like, that's, that's a problem we see with a lot of human beings in the world. They, they, they don't feel worthy. They are ashamed. And, and I want to kind of, like, dig a little bit deeper into this because you're not alone in this. So can you just share, like, what's the process of overcoming that? This, the process is, so, you know, I feel like my coming here was grace, you know, and, and this is something that's very confusing to me is this, is grace, is this like given to me or do I grasp for it? You know, cause I want, what, what, what happened to me and how I am healing and you know, a completely different person and not in severe emotional pain, I want it for everybody. I want it for people that I love because I have people that I love dearly that are suffering. And, you know, everybody's on their own path. Um, but... Where do you start, though? Like, that's, that's the hardest part, I feel, because we're yeah. seeing 
we've seen so many people that feel unworthy. I've, I've been there myself. You know, you're ashamed of maybe who you are or you don't believe in yourself or your abilities. So like where, where is that start, you think? I believe that there's angels and guides and helpers. People come, you know, people come to you. And this is part of the grace. So I always had, you know, my mom was so loving and so amazing and I just wouldn't listen to her, you know. It just, she, she, I know she wanted it to be her, um, but it just, it couldn't be. And um, when I moved here and started practicing yoga, I went to the yoga studio, which, are, you know, Sarah Falugo, who owns the Yoga Nest, which I'm a big part of this community now, um, I, I was really trying to stop doing what I was doing. Um, and I was in, uh, I went, accidentally went to a yin class one day. I would never go to a, a yin class. I was like, wanted to do vinyasa, you know, fast, fast. So what's yin for people who don't know? What yin is? yoga is, um, is soft, deep stretches. Uh, it's a, it's a practice of acceptance. It's very meditative. So you're doing long, deep holds. Um, you get you can really get into your head, which a lot of people don't like, because um, you know there's things in there that you have to reflect on. And this is actually what happens. This is a practice of self-discovery, self-inquiry, and everything. I was a victim. I was like, you know, you're doing this to me. You're doing that. Everything's happening to me. And through this practice of yoga, uh, I was able to see that I have power inside. You started and taking responsibility. I started taking responsibility. Mm -hmm. So in this class that I accidentally went to, yeah. I, um, in Shavasana, I mean, it was really difficult for me to be in my head this much. And yeah. in Shavasana, I, uh, my, my, my grandmother came to me, you know, which was beautiful. She was, you know, the, she gave me unconditional love like none other and she was a really big part of my life she had been gone for about three or four years and this was a you know a really intense spiritual experience for me my first ever like yeah. this and I was crying and I was bawling in yoga and then I was looking around I was like oh is anybody gonna see me or you know I was gonna be embarrassed and um you know I ran out of yoga and I went home and my husband was like what happened to you? you went to yoga why are you crying yeah. So this really, you know, uh, I was held in such a beautiful space. And then with the unconditional love of, of someone like Sarah, and then my grandmother came to me with this unconditional love. And that's all I wanted was unconditional love. So, you know, if I had to say what, what is it that can, you know, where do you start? I was actually given some gifts, you know, and then I took it. I, I was probably given other gifts and I didn't take them, mm -hmm. but um, I reached, you know, for these, these uh, I guess they're mentors, guides, yeah. and, um, you know, I've just felt so much love and, mm -hmm. you know, that was an amazing feeling. I want to kind of touch on one thing because I know that, uh, last time we spoke, you write your things down and then you don't stop until you're done. Your mm -hmm. desk is clean mm -hmm. and then you go home and people who follow you on social media knows that uh, like your 
you're you're in your office probably more than anyone else For and even sure. even maybe the the, yeah. the cleaning lady has left and you're still there For sure. uh, so what is it that's going on in your mind that makes you do these things because the first thing is to write it down and i think that's great but we see a lot of people that write things down but they don't take action mm. or they do 60% of what mm -hmm. they wrote down, mm -hmm. which is good, but to really excel like you have done in your life, maybe you need to do 105%, right? Exactly, yeah. So for me, you know, what really matters, and if you want to be successful at anything you do as an entrepreneur, or if you do sports like yourself, whatever you do, you know, you really have to have an extreme amount of discipline. And, um, you know, I like to have fun, I like to go out, I like to be with my friends, uh, you know, travel and all that kind of stuff, but I'm also very disciplined. So if I travel somewhere, you know, I can hang out, I can have fun, uh, be with my girlfriend all day long or whatever. When she goes to bed, I go back to work. You know, um, I work no matter where I am in the world. So that, and that gives me the lifestyle I can have. So I can travel as much as I do. I can be in Denmark if I want to for a month or something, but I travel, uh, I work at all times. So when I'm here in LA, you know, I, I wake up in the morning very early. I start working on my computer at, at home and sending e emails. I come into the office and then I do my things and I have a plan I made the day before of things I need to do and I need to achieve. Yeah. And it's true, I don't go home until I've like pointed out everything because I just can't come to ease with it. And if I do, if I go home at eight, nine o'clock at night, I go home and then I open my computer at home and then I finish whatever I was supposed to do. Yeah. If you don't have the discipline, you know, what do you have? I just can't be happy with myself then. So how do you train discipline? Was this something that came natural to you or is it the vision that you want to create? Or like how, how do you train this for people that have uh, good question, not actually. done that? Yeah. Uh, I don't think you know, it came natural to me. I'm not from, uh, I haven't been like kind of trained by my, my parents in that sense. Uh, I wasn't like taught from my dad how to do business and this and that. It's just something I had in myself. It's like I have a burning desire, you know, I want to succeed. Um, I want to build this company. Um, I want a certain lifestyle and to have that lifestyle, I need to work hard. Um, you know, so, and that just shows anyone that, you know, everyone can do that. If I can do it, anyone can really. Yeah. I mean, I had I have a bachelor from Copenhagen Business School, so just a three-year education, you know, not, not really a master, MBA and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I don't believe you have that. Anyone with an with a insane passion and desire and discipline can, can beat any education really at the end of the day. Yeah. Life is precious. And yeah. as we know, things can change at mm -hmm. any moment mm -hmm. and like live a full life. It's fun going after things. And, you know, let's be truly and really, really authentic here. Is it about the goals or is it about the journey to the goals? What's your opinion? Of course it's about the journey, you know. You gotta love that journey. Mm -hmm. You gotta love what you do every single day because otherwise you get, you get burned down. Mm -hmm. So I always said that it's easy for me to say, you know, I've been doing yeah. business for so many years, but looking back, you know, you gotta enjoy the journey because yeah. that's really what makes the precious moments because the goals, you will achieve them, but you will, you will exceed them along the way and then you yeah. forget that that was even a goal because my goals today are completely different than they were back then when I started. Yeah. My, I mean, my goal was in the beginning to sell five races a day. Yeah. I mean, yeah. right, done. <laughs> so yeah. if I had those goals today, you know, you, you as a person, we develop ourselves you know, there's so much progress going on. So our brains, you know, we even forget like our small goals where they were back in the day. So for me, when I started in my garage, you know, uh, it was quite critical. Um, 
my, I, I was sitting up there, I had no money left. I had $5,000 left. My girlfriend through seven years left. She's probably like, I was sitting doing bracelets in my garage at a table, at an Ikea table, right? Yeah. With some beads and some string. And she must have thought, what the fuck is this guy doing? <laughs> she left, no girlfriend. I had to, uh, I was completely broke. So I had to rent out two rooms in the basement to two Danish guys, two friends. So they rented two rooms. So I was kind of sitting at a very low rent. And then I started to, to build this jewelry company out in the garage. I mean, honestly, everything was against me. I could have broken down and said, fuck it, I'm going home, I'm packing up, I can't deal with this. But that was not my, that was not my mindset. Yeah. I was here to make a success. I was here to work, I was here to, to do something. So I, I did what I, what I could and I worked super hard. I started this jewelry brand like short time after I was sued uh, from a Danish company and all the Danish newspapers, everything was just like coming down to me. But you know, again, I just worked my way through it. And uh, you know, suddenly uh, there was light at the end of the tunnel uh, quick after, I met another girl, uh, Danish-Russian girl. And I was dating a playmate. <laughs> then I got, a, get, I got a couple of big big shops, you know, they bought my jewelry. I was breaking records, <laughs> things were going well. I, I, we settled a lawsuit and, you know, just like a year later, I was in a completely different state of yeah. mind and I just had so many successes. So I forgot about that fucking year, moved on. Yeah. And, you know, and I just went on to, to build an amazing company. Everything will pass, you know. If you, always if you, does, yeah. always does. I love this example by Ira Glass, I believe his name. He's this um, great um, speaker and producer of uh, NPR radio. And Ira Glass has this thing called uh, The Gap. And you can look it up online, but I'm going to kind of summarize it. And The Gap is, to me, one of the most important concepts to, that I take away and I always remind myself and I share with others. And the gap is basically realizing, hey, you may want to be this great kickboxer or a business person or a swimmer or a dancer, whatever you want to be, right? You have this vision of how you can be this great top of the world or one of the best in your community or the world scale, whatever that is. You have this vision. The reality, though, you're not there. Yeah. So there's this big gap that exists between where you want to go and where you are now. And what he speaks about there in that example is that in this gap is where most people drop off, right? Because, because they start doing the work that they're doing and they see that they suck. And then they're like, oh, I suck. Look at Alex or, you know, look at you and your karate stuff. And I'm not, I'm not like that. Or you, you'll say you face that guy and you're like, eh, that's it, I'm out. But what is the important to remind yourself is that this gap exists and this gap exists for everybody. And in order to cross it, you have to show up and do the work. And when you show up and do the work, you know, day in, day out, and just focus on, yes, that vision and that why of why you want to prove and where you want to get to. But you, you, the most important part is really just showing up and doing the work and reworking on your craft. And in that time of showing up and, and being a student, be learning and wanting to get better and wanting to get to that vision is how you get across the gap, right? But at the same time, I think the important reminder is like, yes, if you want to be an MBA and you're like five foot five and you really don't have those abilities. And not to say like sure people can't be in the NBA, you can. There's been guys who are 5'5 five, five who've been in the NBA, but the odds are really stacked against you. Yeah. 
So you have to understand like what is actually within the realm and possible. And I think with in regards to entrepreneurship, it's it's actually fairly possible. I would actually say I would disagree in regards to like when Gary Vaynerchuk, for example, talks about like, hey, you're you have to be like a professional entrepreneur. I think like those like <laughs> to be a professional basketball player, that's very difficult. Yeah. I think entrepreneurship to a certain degree uh, can be taught. And, but most importantly, not taught, it can be, uh, you can learn about it. And the way you learn about it is really, it's, it's a game of mindset. And the guys who succeed in business, most of the time, even myself included, it's just that mindset of understanding that it's possible to do it. And so that's what I would just really complete that thought on the gap, is learning like you have this gap to cross, you have to cross it, and there'll be this period of time, maybe a year, maybe two years, maybe five years, maybe 10 years, Maybe 20 years. Yeah. You know, hey, look at those guys. I think he would have started uh, KFC or McDonald's or those fast food chains. Those were old guys. Yeah. And that's the important thing to understand is that you will get better as you go on your craft. And that's why I think to me even now, this is the most exciting part is showing up, is learning, is doing, and just getting better every day. Otherwise, just sitting on the beach and like drinking more margaritas, isn't that fun? Like it gets pretty boring real fast. One of the big reasons why the Five Minute Journal has been such a tremendous success and sold like half a million copies now, right? Is because people see that it actually makes a difference, right? If they do it. If they do it. Yeah, I think yeah. a lot of people still to this day probably they just buy it, they yeah. feel good about it. It's like I said, same thing yeah. with the idea of, I told you about books. Yeah. Is not about just just starting something. Yeah. You know, say most people just get a, a gym membership. Yeah. But you have to go to the gym. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> like, you know, don't forget that part. It's like you I still, know. so you, just because you have the gym membership doesn't make you lose weight. Like it'll make you maybe lose a little weight because you have some sort of a placebo working. Yeah. But you still have to go out and do the work. So I think in the same thing with our other product, the productivity planner, it's like even myself personally. Yeah. Or even with a five-minute journal, like I've been there where I, I've been off it for some time. Yeah. Right? I'm like, oh, I don't need it anymore. Yeah. And you then you're into like, a groove and then like, hey, I don't need it. Then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, it's the same like, you know, if you exercise long yeah. enough, you're like, I'm pretty good. Yeah. But what happens once you stop working out? I know. It's, it's, it's <laughs> you crazy. Defl you deflate. So in, in, in a way, what I'm trying to say is you have to make it a lifestyle. Yeah. And not to diminish it, like I, I really in a way guarantee you like if if people listening or watching whatever you are if you do that kind of practice of doing something like the five minute journal for even one of them for like six months yeah. and you have to commit for at least like six months you, it will change you yeah. right and it will have long lasting effects but after time you still need to most importantly create this habit for yourself so even what I take from me till, the, till this day is still that practice of like when I hop in the shower or when I wake up I think of what I'm grateful for. Yeah. And that always keeps me checked. It always keeps me grounded uh, in any situation. Just to uh, remember, like, uh, just appreciation. Yeah. Thank you. That's Because a lot of people don't even get, like, what is gratitude? What is gratefulness? But it's just appreciation. Just saying, saying thank you. Yeah. And I think I always have this message of, like, you know, it'll say even if people believe in the universe, God, whatever. It's like, or even just in your own circle, like, what kind of people do you want to do good for? Is like imagine if you to your you know soulmate Lillian, right? You give, give, give all the time, even unconditionally, but she's not appreciative yeah. of what you do. 
at one point you're gonna be like, oh, screw you. Yeah. <laughs> and like, you're like, I'm gonna go like to, to this person and, and, and maybe they'll appreciate yeah. what I do. And it's the same thing even like, let's say in the employee satisfaction, you know, whenever I hire people, it, the most important thing that I always ask, like, why, did you, why are you now coming to work somewhere else? Why did you leave your job? Yeah. I would say majority, people don't feel appreciated. So same thing in regards to if you believe in the universe and all that higher power, how do you expect the world or the planet or this higher energy universe to give back to you if you're not even appreciative for your life? If you're not even appreciative for the chances, for the opportunities to go out and create life that you have. So that's for me, that's how I see the world now. I'm always appreciative. I'm always grateful. Like I, I, don't, ha- I don't take anything for granted and, you know, and I don't complain. I really, I have no reason to complain. And, I, and, I, and that's why even you can ask my wife or anything like, there's just, there's no reason because we're all so lucky. Even like when my, my thought always comes in, it's like, hey, I'm a human. Yeah. I'm not a bug somewhere. I could have been the termite in this carpet right now. That could have been my life. But here I am, be able to like have this different whole next level experience of being this human being. And that's already a lot to be appreciative of. How did you escape? Was it hard or was it an easy escape? Well, it was kind of a technicality thing. <laughs> what, what happened was is um, I went to court and court was outside of the gates, right? Yeah. Uh, and I was walked by my probation officer and, uh, and we went into the courthouse and the courthouse wasn't secure, right? And my PO went to go talk to somebody and uh, and all of a sudden, I saw one of my high school buddies there, Kenny Boatwright. And Kenny used to, his dad was a big, you know, hot rod guy and had a, had a mechanic shop and would build, you know, amazing hot rods and paint them with flames on them. He was that guy. And Kenny, <laughs> he would throw these race car motors in his mom's Corvette and then roll the thing down the driveway at nighttime <laughs> and go out there and smoke tire, right? And the cops caught him. So he yeah. was there as a juvenile, like uh, tickets. But you're not, I don't even think he had like a regular license. And there he was at exhibition of speed, reckless driving. You know, he was, he was in trouble, you know? But Kenny's mom spoiled him a little bit and... And she wasn't the sharpest uh, tool in the shed. And uh, there I was. I was like, I started looking both ways. My PO is gone. I went to the bathroom. And I just, I knew they were going to give me a lot of time. I knew they were going to give me until my 18th birthday. And so so I started looking both ways. And uh, and then I go, hey, Kenny, man you think I can stay over your house? <laughs> and he, he literally turns to his mom and he's like not quiet either. He goes, mom, can Troy stay at the house? And she's like, sure, Kenny, no problem. <laughs> like the, the mom didn't even put two and two together. You know, I'm sitting there in, you know, juvenile hall clothing and everything. And so as soon as he said that, I just looked both ways and I walked out this one door and then I walked around the perimeter because the, uh, the juvenile hall and the courthouse was right next to each other. So I just walked around the perimeter. As soon as I got to a certain level, I just started sprinting. And the weird thing, it was a hot summer day. And if anybody's been to Northern California, it's on Lucas Valley Road. George Lucas, who did Star Wars, has uh, uh, industrial light and magic. It's his whole Star Wars studio is out there. It's very hot um, in that area. And so I found my way up onto a fire road and... uh, um, 
I got, I instantly got parched and I was, I think the adrenaline was pumping through me as well. And, uh, I just started going on the fire roads and I, I didn't really know where I was. It wasn't my neighborhood. Uh, it was Kenny Boatwright's neighborhood and one of his good friends. And I literally went down this one trail into this guy's backyard and it was Kenny's friend, my friend too. And I went in there and I was safe. And then I started calling around and sure enough, I called my girlfriend at the time, the cops were looking for me. Um, they were staking out everything. And so basically I stayed there for a day or so and then I got on a, a Greyhound bus and I was gonna go to my grandmother's house in Connecticut, <laughs> right? I'm just a kid, you know, this is before the internet. This is before, you know, they, they had radios and stuff like that, but no computers, no computers in the car or anything. And so they were all just trying to handle stuff by phone and cops play all sorts of tricks. You know, oh, well he told us this, so therefore you better tell us the truth or you're gonna get it too. You know, they yeah. use, they lie to you basically. And so, uh, by the time I got on the bus, uh, they were harassing my girlfriend and my girlfriend's mom at the time. And, uh, and so they, they were, she was just like, you'll never catch him. He's, he's, he left the state. He's on a bus <laughs> to Connecticut or whatever. Oh, so wow. they just waited for me in, in Nebraska and Omaha, Nebraska, all the major cities that I stopped in. So sure enough, you know, uh, if you've never traveled this country, this country is amazing. And cruising through the, the breadbasket and, and Nebraska, and it's like desolate. It's the plains. It's desolate. And all of a sudden, we come into this little town. It reminds you of like a cowboy town. And this is Cheyenne, Wyoming. It's not, I mean, it's still a state capital. And so you come in, and there was like seven cop cars there. And I was like, oh, my God. And this was 1983. And so... Uh, I was just like, and I had a little bit of marijuana on me at the time. And uh, actually, we had stopped in like Reno, Nevada. I remember that. And I think I got out and smoked a joint because California, it wasn't necessarily legal back then, but they'd write you a ticket. They didn't really hassle you for that. But somebody in, in, in Las Vegas, in, in, in Nevada, the state of Nevada, told me you'd get seven years for it. So don't let them catch you. And I was like, oh, shit. And so I left it in my jacket pocket. And when the cops came on, they go, is that jacket yours? And I was like, nope. <laughs> and then uh, I, got, I, I spent seven days in jail and I wasn't from Cheyenne. I looked out the window, there was nothing there. There was like a couple horses out in the field. And I was in this juvenile cell with these other kids. And you know, I don't know if people have ever been locked up before but it's it's a pain in the ass you know it really is you really as soon as you don't have your freedom like freedom's everything and so I was just like shit I didn't know what to do so uh, California wanted to extradite me and for me to go out there and go to go to court and due process and so I just signed the extradition papers so I had to wait seven days and uh, they extradited me and uh, my probation officer was 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 pissed uh, that I got away. And so, uh, <laughs> anyway, so I ended up back there and, um, and then I just did my time and, and luckily they just let me out when I, when I, when I turned 18. And so, uh, I think, I think the angels have always been with me quite a bit, you know, sometimes, sometimes a heavy dose of medicine, heavy dose of tough shit, you know, really helps you wake up. So when I got out, I was very grateful for my life. I was very grateful. I got out for my senior year in high school. I did all that work when I was in juvenile hall, 
And I went to my principal who had kicked me out uh, a year, year or so before. And I said, uh, he laughed at me. He goes, what are you, 20? You probably need like 60 credits to graduate. And I said, no, look, I just turned 18 and I need 15 credits. That's three classes, you know? He's like, show me a transcript and I'll let you in. And I had the best year of my life, you know? Senior year, who, who, who doesn't want that to be the best? And it was great. And, uh, and I learned my lesson to a certain degree. I can't say I didn't break the law. <laughs> from that point on, but at least I didn't get caught. How about yeah. that? <laughs> that? That's the most important, right? But one thing that I, I wanted to ask you as well, because I have had Leo de Machida and the Machida family on a couple of times on my show as well. And their father, he drinks the first urine oh, I did ev every, every morning. Yeah. And so I just, I was just curious, like, do they? They do. The yeah. brothers do it? Uh, yes, they do. But they yeah. don't do it all the time now, but they, their father do it all the time yeah. because the father read an article about an Indian doctor yep. who yep. said it was good. So just curious, like, is, what are the effects that you're seeing by doing that? Well, I saw somebody in the gym today and they, they say, oh, you keep getting younger. I, I, I don't know. I, mean, I got gray hairs in my beard and stuff. I'm, I'm 54. I tell you, I wake up every morning and I love my urine and I know what's going on with my body depending on what it tastes like. And I read and heard and blah, blah, blah back in the day and I just tried it. It's like the butthole sunning. Try it. it. It might not be right for everyone. If you're on medical drugs and eating shit food, I don't recommend doing urine therapy. Yeah. But I love it and it's, it's like a hair of the dog. It's, a, it's like a neurobiofeedback just gives you information on what's going on with your body, what's sick, what, what needs to be changed. And uh, yeah, I've been doing it for 15 years. I wasn't so religious, but then a couple of years ago, my friend, uh, my friend challenged me to a seven day urine fast where I just looped my urine. And uh, he also helped me understand about aged urine, fermented urine. And then he, he cured himself of cancer. So first of all, that's what happened with him. And he's a Swedish national. So he's an American guy, but he had uh, socialized medicine. So he went back there to get chemo. He went chemo, and then the doctors are like, well, it looks like chemo didn't work. We're gonna have to take out your lymph nodes. And the guy's like 29 years old, and he was like, I, I think I wanna keep my lymph nodes. <laughs> he went home, get on the internet, researched, found urine therapy, looped his urine for three weeks, came back, and they couldn't find the, the, the cancer. So, so, and he was my breathwork uh, coach. And so I listened to him and uh, I'd already been doing urine therapy. We made a bunch of videos on my YouTube channel. So I started doing the aged urine enemas. How I got into health was my own digestion. As a model, I used to bloat, and get all inflamed from eating probably gluten and, you know, processed foods and stuff. So that's how, you know, my journey into health started and nutrition. And then what happened was, is uh, I had constipation for most of my adult life. It, it took me years to figure out the gluten piece, just like all these pieces and get my fasting regimen down. And then what happened was he told me about the aged urine enemas and I tried it. And the shit that came out of my ass was insane. And my digestion has never been better. My six pack abs and my stomach that's so flat, I could never do that when I was younger. I'd have to hold that in place. Now it's just, it's just washboard, it's flat. 
And that's because I rectified it. And, uh, and was it the aged urine enemas? I think it had something really to do, especially if you look at the bacteria that comes out of you and you populate it down there. And if it's been problematic since you've been vaccinated and took antibiotics as a child and messed up the gut microbiome, seems like I just repopulated it. Plus it's got like ammonia and these weird parasites came out of me. I mean, it's just strong. It goes up there, it burns, and then stuff comes out of your, out of your butt. My, my gut's never been better. <laughs> I mean, I'm taking, you know, people think sex is great. I think you underestimate a good shit, you know? It's like an every day, it feels like I'm giving birth. I'm like, oh, the urge comes. And let me tell you, my quest for health, I had like 26, seven, eight years searching. How do I take a good shit? I'm constipated, fuck. That's how I got into fasting. That's how I got into calming my nervous system with meditation. You know, I got into Taoist stomach massage, breath work. So does urine therapy work? I don't know. <laughs> you know, it worked for me. Yeah. How do you work and help your, your clients and, and students with dealing with pressure? Because I, yeah. I can imagine that just like being an athlete, being an actor, it's tremendous pressure. It can be. I think, you know, when you talk to athletes, they, they talk sometimes about like being in the zone and things sort of slow down like in the matrix. Yeah. And I think uh, preparation is everything. So if you know you've done your work, you're going to feel less pressured. And there's a mantra um, that I like to use, which is like effort, which doesn't mean I don't care, but it means I'm not going to be controlled by tension. I'm doing this because I love acting. I feel good about my work. I feel ready because there's a lot of pressure on an actor and an athlete. It's, just, it's the, the World Series. It's the bottom of the ninth. Your team's behind by one run. There's a guy on base. You're either going to win the game or lose the game, right? And if you let that pressure get to you, chances are you'll freak out and stress yourself out. So you just got to go, I'm going to do my work. I'm going to look for the best pitch. And hopefully I connect. I mean, Michael Jordan famously said that he, I think, took... 300 or more potential game-winning shots and didn't win the game. And it made him a winner to do that. He wants the ball, and sometimes you're not going to do it. Every actor has done bad work, but hopefully you come from a place of loving what you've done and loving the, the form and loving telling the story. And you, One thing that's cool about acting is we get to put our attention outside ourselves. So if I were to pressure myself to do a good podcast and interview with you, I'd be stressing out, but instead I put my attention on you and the Cuban cafe behind you and I'm looking at your shirt and looking at your smile and your teeth and that attention coming off myself frees me up a little bit. Yeah. So I think you have to stay loose, you have to stay playful, you know, yeah. not get tense physically and come from a place of love. I love doing this and I've done my work and I feel ready. It's a great feeling to feel like you know what you're doing and to walk in feeling I've done everything I can. And it's either going to work out or not, but really good actors tend to be consistent. 
And what if it, how do you, how do you come back to your students and clients? They prepared, done all the work and they lose out on that role that they really wanted. Like what, what, what's the discussion and how do you motivate them to move on, move on, right? There's a guy I know, you know, we, we use these things called sides, which is basically just a couple pages from a script, right? And you go in and you do your audition usually with some sides. And after every audition, he rips up the sides and throws them in the garbage because the work's out there. And you never know what's going to come of that. And you never know why you didn't get the part. One time, one of my first professional directing opportunities, uh, I went to school and had a wonderful, extremely talented classmate who, whose work I loved more than anybody in my class. And so when it came time to direct, man, did I want him to play the part. So he auditioned. He did a great job. It was a, it was a scene. It was a story between a man and a woman. But the best woman I saw, when they worked together, like the chemistry, because she was older and bigger, and she was the best for that part, made him look more like her son. So I wouldn't have been able to tell the right story if I cast him. So he didn't get the part. For his sake, I told him why. It wasn't because he didn't do a good audition. It was because it wasn't going to work for the project based on the other pieces in it. But actors rarely get that feedback. They usually just get, nope, you didn't get it. We loved you, but we're going in a different direction. That direction could be younger, older, taller, shorter, more blonde, less blonde, more ethnic, less ethnic. And it doesn't matter, right? Because you put the work out there. And then you move on and hopefully you get to have a lot of auditions. And if you keep doing good auditions, you're going to get cast eventually. One of the guys I work with is uh, Sam Rockwell, who's an amazing actor. We've been working together for 28, 29 years. One time, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, he auditioned for Duncan Jones. Duncan Jones is David Bowie's son and a wonderful film director and didn't get the part. Three years later, that audition made such an impression on Duncan that he wrote a movie for Sam, a movie called Moon, which is basically a one-man show. He plays like several different clones of himself. It's an extraordinary film, one of the best performances of that year. Um, So you never know where things are going to go. He didn't know when he did that audition and didn't get the part that the director was so blown away by him that he wrote a movie for him. So I just say, don't get discouraged. Don't take it personally. You know, because look at the odds. Let's say 200 actors audition for one part. You have a half a percent chance of getting it. So all you can do is just put your best work out there and move on. I can't tell you how many actors I've worked with who the feedback they get is, we loved your work, but we're going in a different direction. You can't take that personally. You just have to get back on the horse. So what would be your best advice for them to, to, to go after their dream? And what could be their first step? Yeah. You know, this guy, James Clear, Atomic Habits, he's an interesting fellow and he, he studies how to create good habits and he's really into micro steps. So I think what intimidates people is if they want to climb Mount Everest, they, they think about the top instead of just the first step. So any step will help. 
So I'd say clarify the dream and, and, and do what you love. Don't do it because it's what your mother wants you to do or what your, your, your family says you should do or your, your neighbors. Like what is going to make you want to get up in the morning and do something? And it's never too late to pursue that. I mean, in some cases, if you want to be a professional basketball player and you're 60 years old, that's challenging. But maybe you can coach or maybe you could write like there's some way you can get closer to the thing that makes you happy. There was a book years ago that said, do what you love and the money will follow. And so I would say the most important thing is to identify what would make you want to get up in the morning and approach that from love rather than fear, right? Fear is going to come in. Don't listen to that voice. Acknowledge it, but say, I, I want to do this. And then what is the first step you can take towards that? And just keep taking steps one by one by one. 